So about a year ago, I attended a presentation by a wicked smart seminary professor. I had read of a few of his books, and I had followed him online, and I was already a big fan. So I was anxious to see him in person and go to this talk. And it was really, really good. But what I remember most from that talk is not any of the content that he shared. I can't remember any of the specifics. Rather, what I remember is that every other reference in his 90-minute talk was to some movie or TV show. It was a pop culture tour de force. And all I can remember, the lesson I took away, in fact, what I tweeted after the talk was, I must dedicate myself to more binge-watching on Netflix. (laughs) And I tell you, I've worked hard at it, watching lots of movies and TV shows, all for the sake of the gospel and the church, of course. When my wife Jenny yells downstairs where I'm watching TV and asks me what I'm doing, I holler up and say, research. (laughs) One of the things I've noticed amidst all this research is the large number of dystopian movies and shows out there. Do you know what I mean by dystopian? It's the opposite of utopian, where everything is right and perfect. Dystopian stories describe parallel or alternate realities or futures where everything is distorted, familiar yet foreign. They can serve as a mirror or a warning. They can call into question what we believe to be real and to be true. And they are hugely, hugely popular. Just think of The Hunger Games or Divergent or Mad Max Fury Road or The Maze Runner, Planet of the Apes, from a long lineage of movies like Blade Runner and Terminator and The Matrix and 1984. And that's not just what I'm watching. Studies show that the number of these movies is higher than ever. Last year saw a whopping 18 feature films tagged as dystopian, a record high. Of late, I've been taken with two dystopian TV series. Uh, The first randomly recommended to a friend of mine called Occupied, a Norwegian TV show complete with subtitles, which imagine what would happen if Russia had occupied Norway. And right now I'm watching a show called The Man in the High Castle, based on a novel by Philip K. Dick, And the premise of the show is that Germany and Japan won World War II and have divided the Eastern and the Western United States amongst themselves. When you watch these stories, it's like living in two different worlds simultaneously. Like one moment is completely normal and then the next is not, and shockingly so. Like in The Man in the High Castle, they celebrate VA Day, the Axis victory, And the whole celebration looks something out of a Norman Rockwell Easter brunch painting. That is, until the Gestapo shows up and starts hauling people away. And I wonder, why are these stories, with their often depressing subject matter, so popular? Maybe they play into our fears and anxieties about the state of the world. Some say dystopian stories help us grapple with issues we face every day, but gives us enough space and perspective to think and reflect on them. Maybe they remind us of our human agencies, that our decisions and our choices have important consequences. In an article in Time magazine, Tony Goldwyn, who plays a character in the movie Divergent, says this. He says, there's something about dystopian stories. It's the idea of Our world is shattered. Now what? 
He says the shattering of everything that is familiar is a classic archetypal fear. It's dramatically really interesting. What happens if our world is destroyed and we have to start over? What kind of society would we build? It's a good explanation. And I think it's also a great description of what happens on Easter. For Easter is about finding a world completely turned upside down and inside out and called into question by the resurrection of Jesus. As Luke tells it, the women, the two Marys and Joanna, came to the tomb on Sunday morning with spices that they had prepared to anoint Jesus' dead body. They fully expected Jesus to be dead in the tomb as he had been beaten and crucified and breathed his last just three days before. And Jesus' death represented not only the death of a single person, but the death of their dream of a new and a better world ruled by God's love, a dream crushed like Jesus himself by the political and religious powers and the bloodthirsty crowds. But when they get to the tomb, they see that the stone is rolled away, and two angels in white announce that Jesus is risen. He's alive. They ask, why do you look for the living among the dead? Remember what he told you back in Galilee? And the women run back to tell the apostles who find the empty tomb, and Luke says, we're amazed at what had happened. On that first Easter morning, all the women's and disciples' assumptions about the way things were were called into question through the empty tomb and the resurrection. If the dead no longer stay dead, if life is stronger than death, if love as Jesus taught is the strongest power of them all, then everything, absolutely everything, had changed. Peter experiences this kind of moment in our first reading today, which always goes together with this reading from Luke. Peter, Jesus' main disciple, has a grand vision and realizes that God shows no partiality. God does not separate people out as, as they were in his time between Gentile or Jew or in any of the other ways that we classify and label and divide people. Peter saw the world in a new way, the way God intended for it to be seen and to be known and to be lived. In these stories, and on this day, lives and worlds are forever changed. I think what we see in this first story of Easter, Peter's story, and again today, is these two contrasting realities, the reality of empire and the reality of Easter. The reality of empire and the reality of Easter. The reality of empire is about holding on to power at all costs. Greed, political oppression, religious repression, putting or pitting religions and peoples and tribes against one another. It relies on fear and intimidation. It leverages self-interest and demands complicity in corrupt systems. This was the world that Jesus was born into and which put him to death. Empire so defined the horizons of people's reality that even though Jesus had told the women and the disciples that he would rise again, they could not believe it. The angels had to remind the women at the empty tomb, and when they went to tell the apostles, they thought it was an idle tale. It could not be possible in the reality that they knew. But at the empty tomb, the resurrected Jesus ushers in a new reality, an Easter reality, what he called the kingdom of God, 
where the last are first and the first are last, where the lost and found and everybody is forgiven, where love is the greatest and most powerful force in the world, where our love of neighbor, no matter how different they might be for us, is our ethic. Once, when John the Baptist sent word asking if Jesus, if he was the Messiah, if all this was really real, Jesus said this. He said, go and tell John. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense in me. Two realities. Empire reality and Easter reality. But which one is real? Well, They're both real, but which one is true? Which one is our ultimate reality? Which one is the true ground of our being? Here's the thing that celebrating Easter in the year 2016 says to me. It's that we are the ones, we are the ones living in a dystopian world, the world of empire. We think or we are told that More anger, more hate, more division, more violence, more money is going to fix our world. A world that needs fixing because of somebody else's fault. But instead, that only feeds and speeds our dystopia. You know, one of the shows that I binge watch is House of Cards, um, a show about a ruthless politician who rises to power through nefarious means. I watched the whole fourth season in just a single weekend. Research. And I liked it, but whereas the first season seemed to cross every possible boundary, just when you think he couldn't go any further, he does in the pursuit of power, the fourth season almost pales to reality. And I wonder, is this what God wants for us? Are we hopelessly trapped in this system, this cycle? Is this all there is? Is this our destiny? Easter is God's answer to those questions And that answer is no. On Easter, Jesus invites us into a new reality, resurrection reality, and the power to write a new future for ourselves and for the world. At this new dawn, this day of resurrection, our worlds have turned upside down and we must consider again, will we double down on the dystopia of empire or will we embrace the promise of Easter and the kingdom of God? Can we believe and really act like this is our new reality? Like the love of God and the love of neighbor are our very first priorities? Can we meet hate with love, prejudice with acceptance, to help and rather than vilify the least among us and seek to understand those that are different from us? Can we respond with love when our world feels like it is shattered? Not to blame others, but to look within to ask forgiveness, and to claim our power to mend our relationships, to build our communities, and to heal our world? Can we make Easter reality our reality every day? Can we be a sign and a symbol of, a hope, of hope in a broken world? We can, because at Easter, Jesus gives us the power to do it because the resurrection lives in us. Jesus gives us the power to do it, the heart for it. And through his life and death and resurrection, Jesus has shown us the way to lay down our lives for others so that we can all rise up together. 
May we on this day embrace our Easter reality and commit ourselves again to the power of love and the power of life. For Alleluia, Christ is risen. And so are we. Amen.